the first podcast called The Country. My name is Justin Weller, and I'm going to be talking to you today about politics, life, philosophy, and how to live without dying. So here we go. Let's talk a little bit. Again, this is the maiden voyage of the country podcast. I'm Justin Weller, and this is Saturday, July 18th. There's a lot going on in the country today, ladies and gentlemen. And it really starts with COVID, doesn't it? Who's tired of this, man? I, I just can't figure out how to deal with this stuff. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing, everything that's going on. You know, Just six months ago, none of this was going on. We were in the middle of an impeachment trial. And isn't that strange? You know, doesn't it seem like ever since Trump was elected that uh, things just happen faster and faster? Everything's a crisis. Uh, you know, we, we just dance from crisis to crisis without ever stopping and taking a breath. And that's the nature of uh, the news and politics today. It's just one crisis after another. Makes you wonder, right? Like, when do we pause? When do we stop and think about this? When do we have real discussions about what's happening and where we are and where we should be going and what the best ways to get there are. None of that happens anymore, right? It's just a, just a series of sound bites and short videos followed by outrage. That's what we do. You know, TikTok and outrage. That's the, uh, that's the environment today. And it's killing us. It's making us awfully sad, awfully hurt, Awfully suspect. I mean, what is going on around here? I just can't fathom it. It makes no sense to me. I mean, for instance, I'm reading right now, there's a new peak in the USA, 77,638 infections in the past 24 hours. And, you know, you hear all these stories, too, right? Like uh, cases of testing sites taking forever to release positive results and then dumping it all at once, creating these data stories where new records are set. Um, you know, I've heard stories of folks uh, going to a testing site, one of the, you know, general major public testing sites here in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium and, and uh, signing in, but uh, the process taking so long that they left. Uh, this is a person I know... Um, had this experience, and, and so she left without getting a test, right? But they had taken her information and just sat around forever and decided, I'm out of here. I got to go. Then gets a call three days later saying she's positive. Never took the test. So, uh, and I, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys, right, that's like uh, conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. You know, I, I believe that there are people and the vast majority of people out there are trying to do the right thing, trying to get the test right, trying to figure out what's going on. But there's just so much out there, so much information out there that makes you wonder what's really happening. And uh, there are certainly elements in our society that are trying to take advantage of this crisis, right? The old Rahm Emanuel, right? Never let a crisis go to waste. Um, and you've seen that with uh, the trillions of dollars that have been spent and misappropriated. Every person that's connected to our government and our society uh, seems to have gotten millions of dollars in the you know, relief program, the CARES Act. And I just, uh, you know, it's just another thing. It's just another thing that makes me say, 
as George Carlin said, it's all bullshit and it's all bad for you. And that's what it is. You know, institutions can be amazing things. They can, uh, you know, win a war. They can cure polio. They can create the Internet. They can do amazing things. But the issue is that all institutions, as they get older, they get larger, um, they, they seek their own power and they become corrupt. You know, and that's what we're dealing with. We have a bunch of corrupt institutions that are not serving our interests, not working for the people. They work for themselves. And that's why you see all of this strife everywhere. Anyway, so 77,638 new cases. Can you believe this? This is uh, according to uh, McCaw Business. And uh, the United States marked a record number of corona cases Friday for the third consecutive day notching 77,000 new infections in 24 hours. I'm just going to adjust my mic here a little bit, so uh, bear with me. Okay. Uh, The country also recorded 927 deaths in one day, according to the Baltimore-based University, Johns Hopkins, that is. We're the hardest hit by the coronavirus, the world in absolute terms, 140,000 almost total fatalities out of 3.64 million confirmed cases. Nobody believes right now that we've emerged from the first wave yet. And cases have been surging again in recent weeks, you know, particularly across the South and West, the states that, um, you know, some would say push to lift the uh, lockdown restrictions early. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I don't claim to know. The worst part is I don't think anybody knows. And uh, we're just sort of floundering. So I don't know what much else we could say about the coronavirus that hasn't already been said. Um, it's, uh, it's sort of a unsolvable problem that doesn't seem to be, we don't seem to have the will to fix it, I guess is what I would say. Um, there's stories now that antibodies are fading and that maybe that will cause problems with vaccines. You know, um, scientists identify six types of coronavirus with increasing severity levels. Um, you know, it's just, it's hard to fathom. We also have this uh, issue going on in Portland um, where we've had this uh, autonomous zone going on, Chaz or CHOP or whatever the heck we're calling it now. And uh, it seems to be ground zero for the culture war, uh, the, you know, the physical culture war. I guess Twitter would be the, the, um, the digital ground zero for culture war. But Portland seems to be where everybody's putting their chips in. And so... You've got, you know, probably elements of Antifa uh, and certainly in that autonomous zone, folks that are anarchists and looking for radical change and revolutionary change. Some have called them Marxists and leftists. I don't know if that's true. I mean, who knows, right? But um, then you've got uh, troops in in the past couple days uh, just sort of coming in. And, you know, according to the federal government, uh, the story is they're there to protect the federal building. According to their detractors, they're there arresting people, perhaps illegally. Certainly, we, you know, we uh, we should be uh, cautious and and concerned about and skeptical of federal troops uh, prancing about our city streets and arresting people. You know, that sounds pretty bad to me. Uh, we've got a constitution that says our our military should not be policing the streets, and so uh, that's pretty concerning and. Um, you know, it remains to be seen what's going to happen. And, you know, it's funny because 
uh, you know, there's elements that will say, oh, uh, troops in the street, that's the fascism of Trump. I don't think he's fascist at all. I think that's, that's BS. Uh, you know, a fascist uh, regime has complete control over what's going on. And when has he ever had control? Does, he doesn't control the media. He doesn't seem to control the government very well. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you can, you can illustrate that through, uh, number one, the leaks that rain out of his administration. You know, the last significant one that I can think about was uh, the Afghanistan leaks, right? So he had announced a policy that, um, that uh, we'd be drawing down troops in Afghanistan. Thank the Lord, right? Good grief. We've been in Afghanistan for, what, 18 years, 19 years? Nobody knows how we're going to win. Nobody knows what the point is. Nobody knows what the mission is. But, uh, you know, the military-industrial complex is making a ton of money on it, so let's keep going. <laughs> Hope you hear the sarcasm in my voice. So, you know, he announced a policy that um, we'd be slowing, drawing, slowly drawing down troops, and, you know, I do believe, whether you want to call it the deep state or just the, you know, the Washington bureaucracy. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I lived there for the first 18 years of my life, and I ate, slept, and drank politics. I interned on Capitol Hill, uh, worked in a press office for the Republican National Committee. Um, you know, the military-industrial complex is real, and it has its own agenda, and it has its own um uh, way to go about doing things. And I, I honestly believe there are elements in the leadership of that area that believe that uh, they're in charge of the country. You know, president the last four years, we've been here for 100. I think that's sort of the attitude. But anyway, um, Afghanistan. So he announced that we were going to leave Afghanistan or start to draw down troops. I don't have the specifics in front of me, but um, hopefully you remember the story. And then immediately there's a leak of classified intelligence that the Russians are... Uh, paying bounties to the Taliban to kill American troops. Now, you know, that's gone back and forth. The NSA says uh, we don't agree with that assessment. But you see what happened there, right? As soon as he starts to do something or enact policy that I think he campaigned on, the American people put him in office to do, you know, bring our troops home. Um, as soon as he announced that policy, the military-industrial complex, the deep state, whatever you want to call them, Leaked classified information to try and uh, bugger that up. That's the truth. That's what happened. And you see this all the time. Um, and so, you know, to call Trump a fascist leader, maybe he desires that, but it's, it's, it's silly on its face. He has absolutely no control over what's happening. And you see evidence of that every single day. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the truth. Next, we've got a story about uh, Elizabeth Warren potentially emerging as the VP frontrunner. This presidential election cycle is just as equally confounding. And uh, certainly COVID and coronavirus is, is affecting that, right? These lockdowns and these, um, you know, the need to not have um, uh, large gatherings and those sorts of things. I mean, that's, that informs a lot of it, right? But like, does it even feel like there's a presidential campaign going on? You know, typically in, in uh, cycles in the past, at this point, you know, July, August, when we're getting ready for conventions, et cetera, um, party conventions, I mean, you know, we're usually so sick of hearing about the campaigns, 
right? It's like, oh, my God, another political ad. Oh, my God, another speech. And uh, this is the campaign that wasn't. There's nothing going on. There's no reporting. There's no stories. There's no appearances. There's nothing. Like, it's difficult to find information about, uh, especially on the news, right? Like, when's the last time you saw a news story about a campaign event? They're just not happening. And I think part of this certainly, and, and, you know, I think anybody that thinks about this a little bit knows this, that, uh, you know, the strategy for Biden is to just not play, right? He can win this election, maybe, by doing nothing. Just letting Trump be Trump and let Trump destroy himself or defeat himself, right, through his natural tendencies. What a way to elect a president, huh? I mean, what are these choices that we have? Why would, I, why would anybody in a normal election vote for Joe Biden? What are his accomplishments? What, is, what are his talents? What, is he, what has he done? You know, he's been in office longer than I've been alive. He's been in Washington, a senator in Washington for, gosh, I think it's 50 years. You know? So, you know, in any other environment, he would go down by 20 points, I believe. Uh, but in this environment, with the way things are and the, um, hmm. and the, you know, the, like I was talking about before, the, the amazing set of crises that seem to never end, um, you know, it, it may be a winning strategy. So anyway, this story about Elizabeth Warren, you know, I'm looking at it now. It's from Axios. It really doesn't have much... Uh, much weight behind it. They're basically saying that his new policy details and speeches sound like Elizabeth Warren, um, and uh, that she's being that she's been along with him or more visible, um, and and that they think it she'll shape his approach. So you know, I don't know what that really means. I mean, if he doesn't pick a woman, you know, that's a whole other topic where. He stated it's only going to be a woman, which, you know, is a wonderful thing. And on the other hand, is sexist, right? What if, you know, what if he said, I, I, I'm only going to pick a man, you know? And we could talk forever about that. Maybe we'll do that in another episode, but it just on its face. Let's, let's pick the best person, you know? Let's not have a litmus test around your gender or your race or... Uh, you know, sexual orientation, any of those things, right? Let's just pick the best person. That that ought to be our aim. But what's going to happen is he's going to pick a woman. I think he'd be crazy, um, having said that, from a political perspective, he'd be crazy if he doesn't pick a woman from a swing state. So, you know, and a big one, right? So I would think about Florida. I would think about Pennsylvania. I would think about Ohio, uh, maybe Arizona, and I'm sure there's some others, but um, yeah, I would pick it from a state that, you know, we likely or usually might lose that state. But with uh, the right person from that state, maybe I can nick it off the other guy. So those are the two things, right? Like, ideally, what we ought to be talking about, what is good for the country is pick the best person uh, from a tactical approach, political approach, you know, pick somebody that's from, uh, from the state you're trying to nick off the other guy. Or, or gal. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. 
So we're at about 16 minutes, and I, you know, I, I'm not sure how this podcast is going to end up going, but I think you know, 20, 30 minutes for the first one is probably a good uh, starting point. So last thing we'll talk about here is there's an article in the Wall Street Journal today. Yeah, today. Uh, firms with troubled past got millions of dollars in PPP small business aid. And this is what I was talking about before. So uh, last November, federal judge ordered an asset freeze against California company FTC accused of pretending to be working with the education department. Six months later, the company, a REIT financial group, got a lifeline from the federal government's Paycheck Protection Program. A REIT, which the FTC said helped cheat borrowers out of at least $43 million, received as much as $1 million to help keep its operations afloat, according to the Small Business Administration figures disclosed earlier in July. Uh, the company is obviously disputing the FTC's allegations. That's Federal Trade Commission. The loan reflects in part, and again, most of this is from the Wall Street Journal directly, uh, the government's push to quickly lend more than $650 billion to businesses of all sorts. $650 billion, right? That's what we spent just on this one program. I think, if I remember correctly, the total that we spent is $2 trillion on COVID reaction. Just think about that. $2 trillion. There's 300 uh, what, 30 or 40 million people in America, there's about 100 million uh, taxpayers. So $2 trillion is just uh, an exorbitant amount. It's, <laughs> I'm no good at math. It's a lot of freaking money. And where did it go? Who's getting it? Well, this REIT Financial Group already stole $43 million from the Department of Education and got another million, okay? Um among the recipients of, that the journal found, other than a REIT, a Missouri televangelist and a Texas multi-level marketing company that were each warned by regulators for allegedly touting fake coronavirus treatments, a Christian university based in California that pleaded guilty to a felony charge related to a $35 million money laundering op operation, a private equity firm accused by investors and a state security regulator of running a Ponzi scheme, a San Francisco construction engineering firm whose chief executive was indicted for allegedly bribing a city official to obtain a contract it wasn't qualified to receive. And this is what I'm talking about, okay? The more power you give to the government, the larger it gets, the more institutional it becomes, the more corrupt it becomes. And look, I, I want to solve the problems that most people want to solve. You know, we've got to balance the budget. We've got to get better at health care. We've got to increase employment and help people to find new, good-paying jobs. We've got to make sure the environment is taken care of. There's so many priorities that we have to solve. And I, I probably agree with most of you on, how, on what we should be doing about it. The difference is how. How do we accomplish that? The progressives and the, you know, the folks that are believers in authoritarianism or the, the primacy of the state, of the government, they, every solution of theirs is a government program. And those government programs, I'm telling you, as I just described, are fraught with corruption. They are a method to enrich our representatives and the people that get them elected through... Um, donations, and other influence-peddling processes. So that's the message today. 
That's what's going on in the country. And we've got to take it back. So again, I'm Justin Weller, and this has been the Country Podcast. We're talking about politics. We're talking about philosophy. We're talking about life and how to live without dying. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Peace. Stay on there till it's done